Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. Um, I'm Pip Adam and this is episode 67. Um, this is um, the last part out of our three-part series about the AUP New Poets 5, which is very sad because it's been one of the most fun things we've ever done. So today we're talking to Sophie Van Wardenberg. Um, we are talking about... Her poem, Does a Potato Have a Heart, um, which appears in AUP New Poets 5. And I asked Sophie to choose a poem by another writer, and she chose Patricia Lockwood's Why Haven't You Written. Um, we had a fantastic conversation. Um, yeah, I love I love talking to poets about poetry. It's Yeah, I highly recommend it, I think. Yeah, corner the next poet you see, have a conversation with about poetry you won't be disappointed. I think I may have just rhymed something there, which is a little confusing. So I was speaking to Sophie. Sophie was in Syracuse. Um, I think that's what it's called. That's the name of her university. So I'm figuring that's the area that she lives in. And I was in Wellington. And um, man, was this eventful. So um, yeah, um, my dog barks in this episode. Um, I um, suffer from a slight coughing fit in this episode, which I hope I have edited out for your enjoyment. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really sorry about that. I did not mean to be disrespectful in any way. It's just that my dog was in the other room and then she started making noises and I was worried about her so I pulled her back into my room and that was a mistake that was the mistake bringing her bringing the dog into the room where you're doing a podcast don't do it so yeah um Sophie was endlessly patient and also um said nice words to my dog which made my dog's little ears poke up a little bit which was kind of cute anyway all that is irrelevant because this is an amazing conversation. Sophie is an incredible poet. Um, her work in AUP, New Poets 5, is just astounding. Yet again, I just say go out and buy that. See three amazing poets work all in one place. What an amazing deal. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm very grateful to Sophie. Very happy to have done this. And thanks heaps for listening. <laughs> hey Sophie, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Pip. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you. And same as am I. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we are talking over Skype because you're not in New Zealand at the moment, eh? Uh, that's correct. I'm in Syracuse, which is um, in central New York State, um, about four or five hours north of New York City. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a bit like... Uh, it's about the size of Hamilton, but not. It's not like Hamilton <laughs> at all. Um, what are you up to there? Uh, so I'm, I'm starting. I've just started um, my Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing and Poetry. Obviously, um, I've done two weeks of it, and I've got three years of it left. <laughs> awesome. Has it been going well so far? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, judging from the last two weeks, it's been <laughs> lovely. Um, my class is just six people, so that's it's very nice, and um, we're all being very kind to each other. Hopefully that doesn't change, <laughs> um, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, that sounds really nice. That sounds so nice. So, um, we are having a chat today um, on the back of your wonderful section in AUP New Poets, Does a Potato Have a Heart? Um, fantastic title <laughs> there. And we're going to talk about two poems today. One is a poem that you wrote, and one is a poem by Patricia Lockwood, which is called Why Haven't You Written? Um, which should we start with, Sophie? Do you reckon we should start with you or should we start with Patricia? Um, I think we should start with Patricia. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> we could start. We could start with Patricia. Let's start with Patricia. That sounds um, great. So this is. Um, I was wondering, how would you feel about reading it? You don't have to. I could read it later and pop it in here, or you could read it now. Whichever you would prefer. I feel great about reading it. That's something I can do. <laughs> great. I look forward to reading it. Okay. Anytime you're ready. roses obsessively checked the mail. We wore all our pathways checking the mail. We went into the woods because we heard the letters rustling and we swore they sounded like letters to us. Even, even Thoreau on Walden Pond checked his open mouth every morning, foolishly believing it to be the mail. We worshipped a great white body that was an avalanche of good news and we slit it open in every part. That can't go through the mail, the postman gasped, because that is a super-stabbed body. The super-stabbed body rose up with many butter knives sticking out of it and said, I am the mail. It had so many lovers. Everyone alive had a finger in it, ripping it open, sometimes with blood, deep bleeding wounds of information all over the back and forth form. It took a long time to be delivered then, and travelled in sacks like shapes of women, and women were full of secret sharp corners where their postcards were poking out, and at last in their bedrooms they sighed with relief as they shook out their sacks with both hands, and faithfully and affectionately and yours tumbled out, and even I am tumbled out. Most letters were love letters until they were not. That was when the mail began to change, and enveloped, the only word that was believed to contain its meaning, was opened and found to be empty. Back then it meant something when my letter never arrived, and now after ten years reaches you, who are dead or in love with a look-alike, or so full of hate for me that you can barely see to read this. If you're not reading this, then it never got there, and both of us are married to someone else. The body of the male still waits for your knife. Why haven't you written? Why don't you write? Oh, thank you so much. Gosh, it's even better read out loud. My gosh. Um, um, I um, find Patricia Lockwood's poems extremely satisfying to read aloud. And also I find myself um, not really able to do the best job because she's, she's so great and so funny. Um, but yeah. She really, she really <laughs> is so great and so funny. Um, she was in um Wellington a couple of years ago for um the Writers Festival, and she was magnificent. And um, I sort of first heard about her with um Priest Daddy, which I think is um yeah, like is a whole different ball game. But when did you first um hear about her? going around in my head much before I read anything and the first thing I read of hers was Priest Daddy and that was only at the start of this year um, but that book I sort of felt I knew when reading and I knew it would be one of my favourite books that I'd ever read mm. um, because I, I, I don't have the words to really describe it everything I say makes it sound put in a box and it's really not in a box um, it's, it's a memoir of um, as you know of, of uh, her childhood growing up with this dad who was a priest who became a priest after he'd had children which is you know out of the ordinary <laughs> and um and sort of growing up in that kind of evangelical society evangelical world and also just being someone who who lies outside of that world and and it's just extremely 
hilarious and tender and heartbreaking book. Um, and it's something that sort of taught me about the importance of, of being funny and, and how that really leads into all of your other emotions. I mean, that's how it works for me. Um, and that's the first book I read of hers. Um, and then I bought um, this book that I just read from, which is called Motherland, Fatherland, Homeland Sexuals, which is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> it's just uh, one of her poetry books. Um, I know that she got really like virally famous with the poem Rape Joke, which mm-hmm. is a brilliant poem. Um, uh, but yeah, this, this whole collection is just does something different to what other poetry books do. And um, this poem, I guess, uh, is one of the more tender ones um, in 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 the in the collection. There's a book of there's a poem about um, the last of the Garys or whatever, which um, is talking about how <laughs> the name Gary is dying out. So you kind of get a picture from that. And um, so. What I, lo- I love this poem so much and I love all of her writing so much and I think you've put sort of your finger on it. Like there's, there is something very, I don't know, I was at a workshop over the weekend and we were talking about how, you know, there there's something inside everybody that means they can write very distinct poetry or writing that no one else can write. And, and that definitely feels like that is this case here, that, you know, the life lived and the sense of humour and all the things that make up the personality sort of come out in the poem so beautifully. Um, I wonder if you could help me out a little bit. Like, you don't have to have all the answers. I feel like sometimes I'm asking, you know, it's like stage one English and I'm like, what do you think's happening? But um, I'm just wondering what, what I, I'm confused about what this poem's doing and how it does it in a very good way, in a way that maybe if I understood, I wouldn't enjoy the poem quite so much. But there's something, um, I just wonder if it's something to do with the male. Like the male seems to be standing in for something that it's not? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm as confused as you are in, in the best <laughs> kind of way. I haven't yet sat down with this poem and tried to rip it apart, um, like like the male in the poem. Um, I, I'm at the same place as you are. I think when I really love a poem, I know that what it's about is about wanting, um, because that's, that's just what I love. <laughs> that's my um, obsession in my writing is what you want and so I know that this poem really desperately wants the connection that male can bring or has brought um and it starts with the words with the words the past um so it really it really is anchoring into something that's disappeared or is disappearing um the line um back then it meant something when my letter never arrived um the mail is something. The mail is not negative space in the way that email or text is negative space until it's read, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, there's the act of sending something into the world and it being touched and fingered by all these people who um, have a part in it. That's what that's what physical postal mail is. So I, I think it's just sort of this kind of nostalgia for something that's both so, supposed to be so private and official but is also extremely physical and not private Mm. um and i mean that's just a whole torrent of different things i don't know what the poem means um (laughs) and i agree with you i think there's some kind of wordiness to it that that not really locks you out of knowing what it means but but really helpfully prevents you from being able to figure it right out um and every line offers something different um and 
I mean, we were talking in class this last week, and, and um, one of my teachers was saying, I mean, you can write kind of any poem, but if you smack a killer ending on the end, it's a good poem, you've done it, <laughs> which is kind of true. <laughs> and though this poem is very good, it is not a bad poem, its ending is the best part. I mean, the body of the male still waits for your knife, why haven't you written, why don't you write? And it's it's like metric, sort of, sort of rhyming, but it's, uh, it's just a deep cut, you know? <laughs> And uh, yeah, I totally know what you mean. Like it does. I I think um I see a bit of this in your poetry as well. It's just this way that it can go on this journey and come to a resting place. So it feels complete and satisfying. But it it doesn't have to. What's the word I'm looking for? Like it doesn't have to go there in a pedestrian way. You know what I mean? Like um you know the ending is definitely fitting for the rest of the poem. It's not like it's one thing and then becomes another. But that ending is just so um. And I think you're right, like that, that rhyme that I didn't notice until you read it out loud, like um, it's, that is a rhyme, eh? Like knife and right, that sounds like a half yeah, yeah, that yeah. sort of rhymes. And um, yeah, and, and, um, and then there is, the, there is the metrics as well, you know, the, there's, there's a rhythm to it that is just amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And I like this idea, um, I don't know, I really like this idea. I always feel like the worst... I, I have a friend who is an amazing poet and also a great teacher and he often says when you read a poem to someone you shouldn't say what was it about you should say how did it make you feel and I just think that might be yeah that might be not a bad way into this I don't know or maybe that's a bad idea as well yeah. I don't know um and I it, think the poem, yeah the, the act of a poem is is not to sound wishy-washy, but the act of a poem is action is, is the feeling, not the situation or the happening, whether those things can really help. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the, noticing the effect on you is, is much more helpful and more exciting than knowing exactly what it means. Mm. Although that's tempting when you have been examined on knowing what things mean <laughs> in, in literature for the past, I don't know, uh, nine years <laughs> yeah, yeah I totally agree um it is funny you mentioned how um her work is often funny and this is it's it's funny and it's poignant and um I mean your your work is often funny as well and I'm just wondering um you know the funniness seems to be something around absurdity again if you pull apart a joke not funny anymore <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this um but I just wonder what what does it mean to sort of have this want and also that funniness as well like sort of the relief of the I don't know do you have any thoughts about that like what happens when we juggle funny with poignant perhaps um yeah it's a good question I mean I I find that I've been forming this thought in my brain, and it's very um, highfalutin, I guess. But it's, <laughs> if I poetry is what I do because I won't be a stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. and for me, the best stand-up comics—they're like what they do is is a poem in itself. I mean, um, just to bring someone up who everyone at the moment is watching, but James Acaster, mm. who's this British comedian, all his all his sets—they're just a long one-man poem, and yeah. like they they run from so many absurdities to the next and yet there's this deep heart um of them of sort of anxiety and confusion and i mean that's something that i (laughs) don't really want to stray far away from because i feel it so deeply Mm. um but there is a funny thing with with humor with attempted comedy and poetry is that um the thing that you're 
you're trying to say can easily be um if you're trying to make it funny you can easily just make it seem like not a big deal and for me why would you write a poem if it was not a big deal like not every poem has to be the true epitome of your feelings but if you don't really want to say something um then why would you write it and for me it's a it's a difficult path to tread between good humor good humor that's real and humor that sort of just brushes off the sentiment of Mm. what you're feeling Mm. um it can be an easy way out I think and it's something that I like obviously struggle to sort of keep in check and also like sometimes you think you're being funny and (laughs) you're just you're really not it just doesn't make any sense which is a joy in itself (laughs) (laughs) I really really relate to what you're saying especially like sort of even in my own writing like there's a real temptation for me um to get almost to that point of feeling and then just yeah that undercut you know that that kind of I feel like it's quite a um yeah it's a comedy move like you know like oh no I wasn't you know I didn't really think it was that important you know and I think that someone like James Acaster is such a good example of where you do get to I when I watch him I'm at that point where I get to feel and laugh which I think is yeah and and in this poem as well I think you know like um you know, it, 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 it sort of, it has that feeling where I'm, I'm very happy to find some of it funny, but it's almost like the funny makes some of the poignant moments even more poignant or something. Maybe that's an old fashioned way of looking at it, but yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the form of the poem? You sent me the copy from your book, which is really useful. Is this, does this have line breaks or is it just ending where the margin ends? It's definitely line breaks, isn't it? It's no. definitely line breaks. Yeah. yeah. So that there are some margins in the there are some poems in the book which are uh, have longer lines mm-hmm. um, and seem even more like prose poetry. This one, though, it does seem like prose poetry. It's it's got long lines, but it's definitely got line breaks all the way through. Yeah. Mm. And like some. Um, of, oh, sorry. You go. No, no, keep going. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything smart. Um, I was just going to say um some of the line breaks um do that wonderful thing that I'm noticing in poetry a lot at the moment where um, something sort of hangs over a subject of a sentence or something and then almost sort of morphs into something else when it gets somewhere else. Of course, now I can't find a um, thing of it. Um, but yeah, so this the there isn't, I guess as far as form goes, these are long lines. Um, there's some sort of metric going, is there, anyway, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so, so when... Oh yes, you go. It does really cool things. Uh, like lots of poetry does uh, with the line breaks with the enjambement, which is Ooh. basically just when you yeah, what you're saying when you when you get to the end of line. So, um, for example, like something that goes, "Who are dead or in love with a lookalike or so full of hate for me," and the the fact that the break happens after full mm. is gets you to the two things, gets you to both, which is you know, a thing in poetry that you should always use, um, <laughs> as long as it doesn't seem too tricksy, um, which is always a, always a struggle, I think. I really, I really, you have just explained something to me that I've been trying to work out for about six months. <laughs> and now I have a word. I'm going to start using enjambment. I like it. I'm going to start using it. It's very good. It makes me feel brainy. <laughs> I like it. Um, another thing that um made me feel brainy is that I knew about Walden Pond. <laughs> this 
<laughs> and this um, poem has Walden yeah. Pond. And there seems to be a great white thing that I thought could be Moby Dick. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, in contrast to, um, like, your poem that we're going to talk about, where, um, you know, it talks about a cooking show, a reality, um, you know, like a, a cooking, competitive cooking show. This one seems to pull in... Um, literature from the canon and I'm just wondering what what effect does that have on you when you read the poem and Walden comes in or you know some of those big names kind of come in um it's interesting it's an interesting effect I mean um I've been realizing in workshop and in other classes that there are so many references to the American canon of literature that I don't know Mm, I've picked mm, up on mm. and that's because I grew up in New Zealand and we have a different we have a different canon that we talk about which is sort of a mix of it's more of a mix of you know New Zealand literature and also British literature and um, a whole whole jumble but not so much of the American stuff and I think um, for me I'm kind of used to being shut out of a lot of those references and then just being mildly pleased when I know one <laughs> even though I did I did do an English degree but even when you do one of those, you still only get what you stumble upon, mm. what classes you happen to take. So I think sometimes allusion or, or literary reference or anything like that can shut you out, but in a good piece of work, even if those things are things you don't understand or aren't familiar with, they won't they won't shut you out. They'll just add another layer if you if you do hang on to them. Mm. And the language in which you reference with which the writer would reference those things would be language in itself, would be some kind of beautiful language. I mean, the words Walden Pond, even if I didn't know what they were referring to, I would probably quite like just because they're good <laughs> words, you know. Um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I approach illusion generally. And I've never been really a voracious Googler of those kinds of things. Yeah. I just kind of let the words wash over me and rely on context clues, and- <laughs> which is a little bit lazy, I know, but <laughs> I that's just how it kind of works for me but yeah I think I don't know if you take something like kind of the biggest example of this would be like T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland Mm. if you take that you could spend years picking apart every single line for each each tiny allusion each tiny like reference to the Latin or the Greek or myth or a London piece of architecture or anything and you still wouldn't get to the end Mm. to the completeness and I think that's kind of a a different uh, beast to tackle and something that might actually, yeah, it might put me off, it might put others off. So I think it's it's, it's a skill of great craft when you can chuck in something that's alluding to more than you have the amount of words to say, but it doesn't doesn't ruin your poem and yeah I totally agree like I think you know Walden Pond is a beautiful couple of words together and then I see that immediately she gives Thoreau um I I can't remember how to say his name now now I'm thinking of Louis Thoreau um and his handsome brother um but like I like she instantly gives him something to do you know there's the opening of the mouth and the strange checking of the checking of the open mouth so I guess yeah it's so freaking clever because I totally agree like I feel like sometimes those those words and illusions come in with weight and sometimes the weight is in there indicatively but there I don't know there's just some things that yeah like I mean I guess he chose yeah I don't know like god yeah it's so tricky isn't it it just occurred to me oh what were you gonna say 
Patricia Lockwood, I find, is that she always gives everything a thing to do mm. um, and doesn't let anything just sit quietly on its own. And I think that interrogating, interrogative kind of nature of her writing is what makes it feel so alive and, and sort of um, anxious and, and funny. <laughs> in a way. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, it just occurred to me that um, this poem, the title of it, Why Haven't You Written? And even those last lines... Um, I, I suddenly, I was thinking because I haven't written for a few days, um, I was thinking they're also sort of a call out to like writers, writers. And I was thinking about that, that sort of, um, interesting, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That interesting, um, intersection of sort of letter writing and creative writing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about that, how it could sort of, I don't know, is that available in that, in that poem, do you think? chosen from your part of AUP New Poets 5 is um, Does a Poet Have a Heart? This is this is the title um, poem of your section and I don't know, Do you, would you be willing to read it? Um, yeah, I would. Um, I will, no, just for, uh, just for historical records, um, it's, it's called Does a Potato Have a Heart? And I think you said Does a Poet Have a Heart, which I already <gasps> agree with and want to explore. <laughs> oh my gosh! But, Love, 
everything in my garden so that it grows again. Oh, I love this poem so much. Like, I love all of them, but this in particular, I don't know. You, I think you read it at the launch, didn't you? Yes, I yeah. did, yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk about why you chose this poem out of all your poems? Um, I feel that there's still a lot in it that I, um, that I like, and that's sort of rare with something that you've already published. <laughs> I think by the time something gets published, especially if it's in a book, down to a question this is a dumb question because you probably haven't seen it but um I've just been watching this reality tv show called blown away which is about competitive glass blowing and um this woman does this amazing sculpture of potatoes and like everyone else is doing these beautiful botanicals of flowers and stuff and she does these potatoes where the eyes of you know how they sprout sometimes if you leave them too long and I was just thinking could you talk a little bit about how great potatoes are gosh I love potatoes Oh, gosh, I could. Yeah, okay, so um, you can't really do anything wrong with potatoes unless they've already gone green. Um, <laughs> I, I think they are the most versatile and beautiful uh, arrangement of, of atoms probably in the world. Um, it got really deep really fast, but I, I think <laughs> mashed potatoes are perfect, and I think roast potatoes are perfect. I mean, baked potatoes have something lacking, um, but <laughs> most every form of potato cooked uh, is just, you know, it's a home. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, when I, so when I did my exchange in London, I ate um, packet, not packet mashed potatoes, but ready-made mashed potatoes oh, every week, um, which sounds horrendous and sort of lacking in nutritional value. And uh, yes, it was, but it was also the most comforting part of my week. Um, and oh, I man. haven't yet got to that point here so far away from home but I, I'm sure I will um, um, I don't know potatoes are my whole world I think I think that's just sort of the conclusion that we're going to draw um, and I'm so glad you gave me this forum to discuss that I'm so pleased <laughs> I think we are um, simpatico. Is that the right word? I think we feel the same way about potatoes. I just love them. And to see them appear in poetry is so wonderful. And like I say, in that, in that episode of the um, of um, Blown Away, to see these potatoes and suddenly think, these are amazing objects. And when you think, I mean, then I started thinking about the historical significance of them as well. But, you know, like I just think, wow, what amazing things. And, and what an amazing title to give. Um, your section of the book and what an amazing poem this is um I can you remember anything about writing this poem like it's probably quite a long time ago now isn't it um it's about a year about a year ago that mm. I wrote this so not too not too long ago I mean some of the poems in this in this section are 
quite a bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not that I have that many years to go on, but something that I wrote three years ago, for example, it feels very old. Yeah. Um, but I, I do remember wanting to collect things that seemed delicate to me and yet were clumsy in the world. So um, there are the potatoes and there is the dissection of the locust that we did um, in year 11 at school. And um, I remember dissecting this locust, and right before we cut into it, my friend was like, wait, we need to give it a name. And I was like, oh, well, okay, what name do you want to give it? She said, Gerald. And it threw me so much, because Gerald was the name of my dad, who died two years before that. Oh, and I was yes. like, oh, okay, well, okay, let's go for it. So we cut into this locust, um, named after my dead dad, kind of. Uh, and, and that was extremely clumsy, because... You were supposed to sort of see, like, the alveoli and all the ways that it breathed, and um, we were discussing, you know, like, air vents and how locusts didn't die and all that sort of stuff, um, but we it was just squidgy, like, everyone just sort of squashed <laughs> their locusts in the classroom, um, which was quite sad for the locusts, um, and, yeah, and then there's MasterChef, which is something that I, um, I watched... Um, sort of every year with my um, with my mum, and um, it's kind of something that you get attached to, even though you don't want to, because it's so dramatised. The music is horrible. <laughs> every week, it's like, oh, have you forgotten to put the flower in your song? Oh. You know, the dramatic moments about things that are completely unimportant in the greater scheme of things, but uh, just those kind of collection. Like this poem is just sort of a found poem, but not not in that way, but a found poem of of a clumsy life um and I wanted to shove them all together and it's a rare moment where I felt that I did that kind of well um and yeah I I think it's just sort of something that came together quite easily um and I liked the sound of the words and then I left it at that um yeah I was quite pleased <laughs> I I'm quite pleased too I really I really really love it um I wonder if I'm just going to call my dog over. Oh, no, she's going away. Bye. Bye, doggy. Um, she, she's found something more interesting than me. Um, I was just wondering. Oh, she's barking. Don't bark, puppy. I'll just let her bark for a minute. She really thinks she owns the street. Coco, come here, puppy. Come here. Yes, now just sit down here and relax. I'm just going to take off her coat. She's wearing a, um, she's wearing a raincoat. No, <laughs> Weird. Okay, right. I'll just give us a bit of silence, hopefully, and then I will go with my next question. Sorry, this is very unprofessional. I like it. No, no, it's I funny. Love it. I wish oh, you dog. oh, she's a very cool dog. Hang on, I'll just let her. Oh dear, Coco, come up here and just don't bark. That'd be good. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the poem moves around. Um. Because it's quite, it covers a lot of sort of, it covers a lot of imagistic and sound and, you know, it covers a lot of distance. And I just wonder, it, did it come together in that sort of order or do you take time to piece it together or how does, how does that work with a poem? How do you write a poem? That's what I'm asking. Um, <laughs> it's really tricky and usually for me it doesn't work. I'm, I find that I'm usually better at writing poems with central images that, you know, through lines that seem very clear, sort of one-act poems, um, 
and this is kind of different. It's more of a jumble, as you say. And I think for me, it was it happened really quickly, and I don't quite remember whether I made many actual decisions. But looking back on it, um, and just sort of analysing it from someone who's not that person, um, <laughs> well, one year ago, um, I think. It's much more about the rhythm in this poem for me. It's much more about I got halfway through a line and then I wanted to go somewhere else. And if I could make it sound good, which is the whole thing of a poem, uh, then I could do it. And I, I found that I could. For example, um, like if you launch into MasterChef on the same line as dissecting a locust, I feel like that's so boldly changing direction um, that it kind of works. Um, mm. And I think... I think it's it's hard. I find it hard doing these kinds of poems because it's it's hard not to get whiplash or to give your readers whiplash and just to throw people around and then people get really um, confused and disoriented. Yeah. And um, I, for some reason, I just thought that these images lived in the same world, um, and none of them bore too much feeling, even though they even though they were deeply important to me for some reason. Um, and I think by leaving them quite sparse. Um, montage was almost fine enough to just chuck them all together at the end. Um, I suppose like making a sauce. Yeah, <coughs> that is so true. And I don't know. There is such weird. There is such a great thing that happens in it because you stick these things together, which feel disparate or different. You know, I don't know. Like there's some there's some data is kind of thing that happens where you do, I'm able to make the leap from cutting up a locust to the MasterChef back to, yeah, back to the celery and the raisins and the prawns and the garden. I don't know. I think it's masterful. I think it's really, oh, masterful, like MasterChef. Um, I think it's really great. Um, This idea of space around it, when it's on the page, there's quite a lot of white space in between the lines. Like some of your other poems, you know, the, the, the lines are closer together than what they are in this one. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Yeah, I mean, this poem is double-spaced, which is, is quite luxurious, I mm. suppose. I mean, if I had my choice, most of my poems would be double-spaced, <laughs> but that's costly. Um, I think um, I like a lot of space. I like something that my... My high school English teacher, Rosalie, said was like always, you know, like leave space for your words to breathe, mm. give give your lines breathing space. Um, and I think that's particularly helpful when you're an adolescent trying to jam as much metaphor and as much emotional uh, <laughs> language in there as you can. But I think it still helps me, it still allows me to, even if I just play with the typesetting, to see things sort of with windows between them. Um, mm just really helps a lot and I think I think it affects the reading experience I'm not sure because you can never know when you've already edited it 500 times but I think I think it affects the pacing allows things to sort of um drift a little or um have a cleanness about them that um otherwise a poem doesn't have a poem is more rhythmically driven or um has this emotional impetus and I kind of didn't want that um in this poem kind of wanted these long lines to just scaffold themselves in the blank space around them um I mean really it's not it's not really that much um, explanation needed it's more just like I liked the look of it mm. <laughs> I think those are things that the book does and there is something I mean 
that's what I think is so great, especially in um, this, like where we get to see three poets, is that there is sort of this amazing um, weird thing that happens where I do start seeing it as shapes on the page because there's so much variety within the, even within your section. But yeah, when you look at it at the page, it starts to have almost a rhythm of its, it almost starts to make a sound as well. You know, the way the, um, you know, the second line slightly shorter and then there's a line later on which, um, is longer than the margin so you know the last words sort of sit in underneath it I know there's something really beautiful about it and and like I say it also gave this weird because what comes before it are two poems that are relatively long they look you know one of them almost has an italic chorus in it and then you come to this and there was this amazing exactly like you say like it was like a breathing space in the in the in the stuff which was just so fantastic was so fantastic um, we have talked about um, 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 on Walden Pond, but you have a few poems in here. One of my favourite is Do Not Blame Me for Loving the 2003 Ooh. film Love, actually, which I absolutely I love that poem as well. What does it mean? So we've sort of talked a little bit about the illusion of bringing sort of capital L literature in. What does it mean to bring in these things that, I don't know, like, are they more ephemeral? I don't know. You know, definitely a 2003 film that we're still watching does not seem ephemeral. That's lasted a long time. But I just wonder, you know, there's things that are perhaps more accessible to more people. What what does it mean to bring those into a poem, do you think? Um, I think the thing about bringing in things like Mastership and Love Actually to my poems and um, in another poem, The Office, is, is like... Yeah, saluting those things that formed you as a kid or as a teenager um, that aren't really given much respect or, or reverence. I mean, um, the fact about Love Actually, the film, is that it's possibly not a very good film and there are plenty of people, more than half the people who watch it, don't love it um, or at least think it could be improved. And it's not about referencing good, perfect, whole art. It's about referencing the... The forms that you were bonded by um, in a group as a child, the things that you watched as a family, the things that you loved to take part in, they were events of my life, you know, watching Love Actually for the first time when I was 13 or watching MasterChef with my mum. And I think um, being able to write about those, feeling that you're allowed to write about those things, to write about every small detail of your life, every clumsy pop culture reference, mm -hmm. and to salute the kind of ephemeral beauty of pop culture and which which parts of it really affected you is, is just a beautiful thing. I think um, I'm really glad that I got to put these poems in my collection that seem trivial, that are taking the trivial and insisting that it's important, at least to me, important for these poems. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's just a wonderful feeling to know that you're allowed to do that kind of thing. A lot of your poems have a lack of capital letters and also there's sort of this very judicious use of punctuation. Like we don't always use punctuation or you don't always use punctuation the way that we might expect it to. I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about that, like decisions around yeah, those kind of idiosyncratic things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the the thing about the the capitalization is something that I'm still um, 
I don't know why I choose to do it the way I do, which is not to. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's a little bit about um, growing into poetry when you're a teenager, um, which I did. I mean, I've been writing poetry since you know, since I could write, but I think, um, well, once once it's poetry, but um, yeah, <laughs> um, I, think, um, I think it's just something that I've that I've done mostly and keep doing mostly, and it might change. I I feel a little bit resistant towards it just because I I try it sometimes and it feels so wrong, but I know that <laughs> it always feels wrong to do something different. I don't think there's anything specifically telling about my lack of capitalization apart from just an aesthetic drive mm. um, away from it, and I there's nothing really important about it. So I think... I think a lot of people find it frustrating to read things that aren't capitalized and maybe I could cater a bit more to that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> come back to me in three years about that. But the punctuation is very important to me. Um, the punctuation is... It works differently in different poems, I think. I think in some poems it works um, idiomatically. It works colloquially. Um, it works like most sentences work. And in other poems, like, for example... Um, the, the Love Actually poem, um, or, um, yeah, lots of my poems, they sort of don't use punctuation until it's completely necessary for scaffolding, for, for sense or logic purposes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, when, when, this, when this collection was proofread, um, the proofreader came back and sort of requested or suggested that I put um, full stops on the ends of some poems, um, because there were some that had them and some that didn't have them and for me that's like a completely it's one of the, the very few things in my work that's completely um a firm decision yeah. and um when there's not a full stop on the end of a poem it's just it's completely for effect it's completely for signaling that this is not where the poem ends or that this is this is not a decided thing or any of the inflections that you really get from not having a full stop. Um, yeah, and I, I guess saying that, I think a lot of my punctuation is about inflection, is about uh, how the poem is, is meant to sound in your head or, or spoken aloud. Um, and whether it sounds like a question or whether it sounds like a pause or a stop or a leading into, I think that's really where I use my punctuation the most. And I think about every single place that I've put a comma or a full stop um which is strange for me because lots of my poetry is unthought <laughs> um, at least at the beginning but I, I deeply respect the comma because I, I think that's what's so interesting about the um love actually poem is that the comma between love and actually becomes like almost a character in that poem like it's incredible and I was just thinking about the three um Oh, what are those called? The three full stops. Oh, um, uh, oh the ellipsis. Yeah, the ellipsis. That's in um, the um, Does a Potato Have a Heart poem. Oh, and yeah. like, I, I totally agree that my experience of reading it made me think that the punctuation was, <laughs> it was almost like a, 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 a different colour in the palette of your painting, of your um, poetry. Like, it definitely felt like it was there for a reason and needed to be taken notice of. And I think... That's what I loved about it, this kind of judicious, uh, that's not the word, right word, but this thoughtful use of punctuation meant that, yeah, I was reading the punctuation in a way that I often don't in other poetry, and I, I just loved it. And and I really 
really loved the non-capitalization as well because it sort of did seem there was something about it that there was no interruption of the stand-up letters you know and, and it, it did something very interesting to the tone of it I think I, I just I thought it was wonderful I thought it was really wonderful that's that really really great to hear and I'm I'm always pleased <clears throat> when people pick up those kind of almost futile details that you <laughs> these days I mean it's read so quickly um a lot of the time but you sort of feel like you'd be the only one to notice. <laughs> Thank you, Pip. <laughs> oh, I just I just love your collection so much. Um, I did I did have one question that I was wondering about and that's um the process of putting these poems together. Like I am not sure if they were written to be together or if um this is a collection of your work that because some of it's been published in other places. I'm just wondering about that process of putting them together as one thing. Um, what, what What's that like and what's it like to look at them as one thing? Right, so the way that this collection came about was, I mean, Anna Jackson approached me and she said, do you have a, do you have a collection? And I sort of, <clears throat> it was not an opportunity I wanted to turn down at all. I mean, no. it's <laughs> one of the most exciting things that's that happened to me uh, about my writing and I think I scrounged together as many of my poems as I felt comfortable with you know going out mm. into the world mm. um, and as you say most of them have been published before and they were never meant to really sit together except that they're all written by me <laughs> and I suppose because I am young and little they were written in sort of the same era of my life yeah. so um, <laughs> I think the process of really gathering them together was um funny one it happened really quickly and without too much thought I, I knew which one I wanted to start with um which is which is a poem about a photograph of, of me and my father um mm. and I wanted to end um with Grace Waits which is sort of the start of the like next part of my writing which is less about childhood memory and more about current love um but apart from the beginning and the ending, I, I didn't really think much about it. I just sort of, I wanted to just, it just all sort of got jammed in there. And I think just because it came from the same part of my life, and it came from me, it sort of all kind of works. But it is more of a best of collection um, <laughs> than, a, than a chapbook in itself, I think. Yeah. And they do, I think, this is what I think is so great about them, is that they do... I think they sit together beautifully and, and I think that it probably is like you say, like there's that there's that strange thing where the things that interest us kind of, you know, bring our work together, you know what I mean? Like they, they sort of, themes start to build and, you know, like it feels like a very complete piece of work. It's just wonderful. It's so good. Um, thank you so much, Sophie. And I'm sorry about my dog. And she, oh, don't be sorry about your dog. She, love your dog. she um, loves you very thank much. Thank you so much. And have a lovely. have a really good evening and um yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Happy Monday. Happy Monday.